0: We have Jim Oliver with me here today, and we're going to be covering a lot of ground, especially regarding infinite banking. And I need to point something out. Jim's got a book that is coming out on November 14th, but you should join his community. Check it out at community.createtailwind.com. That's going to be a clickable link in the show notes, but really appreciate your time here today, Jim.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jack. And looking forward to talking to the audience and talking to you and uh, getting to know you.
0: I'm always curious. We're talking about infinite banking, which has to do with insurance. There has to be a story. I find when it comes to these type of career choices, more times than not, it's accidental. How did you find your way to this niche?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So when I got out of college, I I started as a fee-based, full-service financial babysitter, money advisor, financial advisor. And I did that for 15 years. And one day I got something from one of our platforms, Jack, and it said, over the last period, your clients have gotten 9.38%. And I had $700 million under management. I was charging a 1% fee back in the day. And I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, I have money in that platform. It didn't go up 9.38%. So I did a deep dive into the numbers, and this is back before it was easy to do this. And I took out fees and expenses and taxes, and guess what? I was really getting like 4%. And I thought, wait a minute, at 4%, all of these financial plans don't work. And so I was visiting one of my reps in uh, downtown Denver, and he had the stack of black books on his bookshelf. And I was just starting to thumb through the book, and he said, oh, you can have that. That doesn't work. And it was Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, Unleashing the Infinite Banking Concept. So I put it on my desk, and I didn't look at it. And then one day I looked at it, I read through it, and I said, oh, that's a way to sell more life insurance. Yeah, I'm not- Interested in that? I put it back down. And then I was going to Houston, and a friend of mine said, "Hey, I'm going to do this seminar too. Nelson Nash is in town doing his ten hour seminar in infinite banking." And I said, well, "I thought that didn't work." That's what somebody told me. And I, a way to sell more life insurance. And he said, "No, it's way bigger than that. You you ought to come to the seminar with me." So I went to the seminar. Ten hours, and about halfway through, Jack, I said to myself, "This guy is either a shyster, or he's brilliant." And I really wasn't sure which one. And so at the end of the seminar, I asked him probably an hour's worth of questions. Him, Nelson, being a good Southern gentleman, he answered every one of my questions with patience and grace. And he said, Jim, you're in the financial services world, so your paradigm is a little bit more in cement. So why don't you come back? I'm doing this again in a different town in two weeks. Come back as my guest and watch it again. But I've always been... uh, a below average student in school, Jack. So I was like, okay, I just need a little bit extra teaching. About halfway through this seminar, it clicked for me. And I went, wait a minute, this isn't about the insurance contract. You just have to have the insurance contract to collateralize the money in there. And then you get to go use the insurance company's money. How many people realize that when you take a loan out of an insurance? Remember, I'm 15 years as a financial planner. How many people realize that? Because I didn't. And so I asked them probably another hour and a half, worth of questions after the 10 hour seminar. He's in his late seventies at this point or mid seventies. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. So I went back and I looked at all of my clients, all of the ones that were truly wealthy. And this is before, or at least before I knew how to use Excel. And I didn't have a CRM just to go, okay, give me all of these guys. I had to go file by file, but I went through file by file and I came, it came down to two things. That people that were truly wealthy, what they did to get to become wealthy. And it was real estate and businesses. And if I'm a real estate investor, I'm in the real estate business, right? So I went, wait a minute, why am I telling everybody to put their money in Wall Street when it's buying businesses and buying real estate? And that's really how be, people become wealthy. But if I can control the banking function, And I could put a dollar in there and have more than a dollar to go put in the real estate or go put in businesses. Then guess what? I win. And by being my own banker, I solve one problem that we all have. We finance every single thing that we buy. We either pay interest to someone else or we give up interest that we could have earned somewhere else. There are no exceptions. That's how I got so passionate about this. And I went, oh my gosh. I have to teach people how to do this.
0: You mentioned that you had the system that you were working in at the time told you that you were getting over a 9% return. But when you dug in, it was closer to four. Yeah. What was causing that discrepancy there?
1: My, my fee, because you know, what they don't tell you is that when they publish your rate of return, it's your average rate of return. It's not your actual rate of return. And if you earn 100%, you lose 50%. Guess what? Your average rate of return is 20, but you didn't gain anything, right? And if you looked at your report, you'd say, man, I got 25% over those last two years, right? Because I went up 100, I went down 50. That means I'm net up twenty-five or 50 divided by two, that's 25. So it's all a lie. Everything that we're taught about Wall Street and 401ks and banks is a lie. And yeah, that's once I realized that I no longer could teach people to go put your money in Wall Street.
0: That's a pretty bold statement to say that it's a lie like that, but I appreciate you being that direct. It, It does go back to some of the things that when I was growing up and you're trying to get in your investments, when I tried to take an honest look at some of my 401ks and what have you, it only seemed to grow. With the amount that I was shoving in there, exactly, and when versus an actual growth outside of that,
1: that's what you realize is you brought up 401k. So let me just ask you three quick questions, Jack. Not about 401ks, just general questions. Mm -hmm. One: Are taxes going up or down?
0: Absolutely up.
1: Absolutely up, especially where I live. Just it's just math, right? Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and the interest on the debt. Those four mm-hmm. things, I don't care who's in charge, taxes have to go up. Number two, the dollars that are in your pocket, are they worth more today or in the future?
0: Shrinking drastically.
1: Exactly. When I was a kid, I could buy five candy bars for a dollar. You can't buy one. Mm-hmm. Last question. This is a farming question. No, I'm just kidding. Is Would you <laughs> rather pay tax on the seed or on the harvest? The little amount or the big amount?
0: Little amount, and that's why Roth IRAs got popular.
1: But the three questions, 401ks, unless there's a Roth option, all three of those questions, right? And the Mm -hmm. only thing that a Roth does is it lets you pay the tax now, which is better to pay the tax now than in the future. But it's still a government program, which means that somewhere along the line, the government's in control. And I say to people, look, if I wanted to be the next president of the United States, what I would do is I would seize all retirement accounts, all 401ks and IRAs. And what I would do is I'm not going to steal your money as the government. I'm going to give you a certificate just like they back like they did in 1938 with gold. And that really worked out well for people, right? If you had physical gold, you had to turn. This is the government now, right? And you had to turn it in. And then once it was all, there was a value place. Once it was all turned in, they changed the value once they had it. Now, they were getting ready for World War II. And thank God there's no wars out there that we're getting ready for that we need to raise money and seize people's assets. Thank goodness there's none of that going on. Saying tongue. But they could seize our money. And if you're in a Roth, you could have that same problem. Plus, you have limitations in a Roth. In infinite banking, you have no limitations, and you have an instrument, this nasty life insurance contract that nobody likes, that's been around for 350 years, that banks, corporations, and wealthy people have been using the way that I'm talking about forever, way before federal income tax.
0: You also mentioned that you had one friend or one acquaintance who said, that doesn't work, and then you had another friend who essentially drug you to the NASH seminar. It's interesting to see both sides of that, where it's that surrounding yourself with those five friends, you become the sum of those individuals. What caused you to ignore the one fellow who says that doesn't work and try to, was it just peer pressure? It
1: was, I was, it was all kind of coincidence and luck. I was going to Houston. I had time because I had something to do Saturday evening. And I had time to kill. And the person that recommended me to listen to this guy, he was also from Birmingham and had spent a lot of time with Nelson Nash. And I felt like he had a better point of view than my friend that had just breezed through the book. I've read that book a hundred times and I learned something every time I read it. It's 92 pages. So I think my friend that's, it doesn't work. Didn't really study it, really didn't dig into it and didn't come to it with the right mindset, which was an open mindset. And he didn't have that.
0: You mentioned that you went to that secondary seminar and then the light flipped too. So it's understandable somebody picks up a 90 page book and doesn't actually get the gist of it.
1: What, which is why that 92 page book, I did a two hour and 45 minute explanation of page by page section by section of the book on my community that's 100% free, and and I explain it because I've studied it so much, I want to explain to people what it means. You mentioned two books. If somebody, if you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, or, or Think and Grow Rich, if you read it, I read it in my 20s, it didn't hit me like a ton of bricks. Again, I'm a slower learner. I have to look at things and digest them. But if you explain those books to me, well, then guess what? Now those books make more sense to me. And that's one of the reasons that I did that course is because I think there are people out there that learn like I do. I need somebody to explain that concept to me like they do in school. You read and then you go to class and you get a lecture telling you what you just read.
0: If you want to take advantage of Jim going through that book and, and taking uh, some lessons from what he's learned, tailwind.com. For some reason, I stumble over that last bit there, but community.createtailwind.com. I'll make sure that is a clickable link in the show notes and do us a quick favor and share this episode with one of your investor friends. So Jim, you're going to have to now pretend I have never heard of this before. Yeah. Can you break it down in less than 90 pages how, to, how this actually works?
1: Yeah, and to do that, Jack, I just want to back up to banking itself and why it's called infinite banking concept. But let's look on, on just a basic scale, no fractional reserve lending or anything else. Let's just look on a basic scale how banking works. The first thing you need in banking is a depositor. And the depositor goes down, they put their money in the bank and they deposit it in the bank. And by the way, Jack, when they deposit money at the bank, is it an asset or a liability to the bank?
0: It becomes an asset
1: when they deposit it, it's a liability because they have to give it back to the depositor whenever they want it. And they haven't done anything with it at that point to make it an asset. But what you're probably thinking is they're going to take that money and they're going to loan it out to a borrower and that mm. becomes the asset. The loan is the asset. But as, the, as, as consumers, we're taught, when I say that everything that you've learned about money is a lie, that we're taught that a deposit is an asset and a loan is a liability but the bank knows that it's the opposite the loan is the liability if you if they're the ones receiving the interest because the bank knows the borrow borrower is going to pay the bank interest and then the bank's going to pay as little to the depositor as they'll accept so let's take bank of america and this is a random year and people say jim why don't you use 2023 i'm using 2016 because since 1980 so now, interest rates have been all over the board. In 2016, it doesn't matter. It's wherever we are in the market, and the market will always change. But in 2016, Bank of America's uh, interest expense, so the money that they had to pay on deposits was 0.2%. Their interest income, the money that they paid, that they, I'm sorry, that they received from borrowers was 5.2%. So that means if you put 10 grand in the bank, that they were gonna pay you $20 over the next year for having that deposit there and them having the use of your money. And they're gonna charge the borrower $520. Now, again, our consumer brains say, that's $500 more than me, no big deal. But that's not how a business works, Jack, is it? You take the cost and you divide it into the profit And you find out that $20 goes into $520 six times. So that means the bank is making 26 times more than you with your money. Does it get worse? It does. Because there's only one banking system in the world. Just there's only one pool. There's only one pool of money. There's only one pool. There's only one pool of water in the world. Excuse me. It's the same way. So that means if you have money, Deposited at one bank, borrowed from that bank or another bank, it really means the banking system is making twenty six times more than you with your money from you now there's three players in the play. Shakespeare said, if you understand the players in the play, you'll know what's going on. You have the depositor, you have the owner of the bank, and you have the borrower. Infinite banking in a, in a nutshell is just building a wall around this and being all three of those entities okay, so now. Let's take the concept of banking and put it into infinite banking with this nasty insurance contract. So you have this life insurance contract, a whole life policy that grows guaranteed every single day. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to have big returns. And that's why we use whole life. Okay. So you have this money and it's designed for cash value. It's not designed for death benefit, but it has death benefit, it has illness protection, everything else. But it's designed for cash, like a bank would design BOLI, bank-owned life insurance, or a corporation would design Coley, corporate-owned life insurance. Now, why would a bank and a corporation own life insurance? They know once that money is in there, it's never taxed again, right? And a bank knows, oh, by the way, a bank is restricted to only 25% of their tier one assets being in the life insurance contract. Why would they limit how much money a bank can have in life insurance? Because once it's in there, it's never taxed. Again, it's tax invisible. Okay. So now I have this money in this insurance contract and I buy it from a mutual insurance company. The reason a mutual insurance company, Jack, is because mutual insurance companies are owned by policy owners. They own the company, not shareholders, policy owners. And as an owner, I have a contractual right to take a loan from the insurance company up to 100% of my cash value in my policy interest only. Okay. Now, an interest only loan, you take out the loan and at the end of the year, it's, you got to pay the interest. You can use the money and make all whatever you need, but at the end of the year, and right now that's between four and 5%. Okay. So now I have, and my money never leaves the account. It stays in the tax shelter. I get to use the insurance company's money. So now I have OPM, other people's money. I have use and control of it. These are all things banks want. And what am I going to do with it? I'm going to go invest in real estate. That real estate is going to have a rate of cash flow. My cash flow is going to come back into the insurance contract until I'm ready to do what? redeploy it and buy more real estate. So all of my real estate is keeping up with inflation because it's an asset, not an instrument. And I don't have to tell people on this show that you already get that. So I have the growth of the asset. I have the rate of cash flow. I have the tax invisible rate of return inside the insurance contract. I have the legacy rate of return because someday I'm gonna graduate from this world and my heirs are gonna get a tax-free death benefit. And I don't have to choose one of those rates of return. I get them all. It's an end asset because I'm collateralizing it. I don't have to choose what's in this account or the real estate. I get both. And so I do that over and over again. And pretty soon, very quickly, in fact, Jack, my tenants are paying the premium inside the insurance contract. And after just a few years, every dollar that I flow in there is worth more than a dollar to flow And what I mean by that is, like by year four, every dollar that I put in might be a dollar ten. That from that deposit, I have to go put in real estate. So I put in a dollar. I have a dollar ten to go put in real estate. By year ten, I put in a dollar. I have a dollar fifty to go put in the real estate. And every year, it's guaranteed to get better and better till the day I graduate. So I don't leverage in the beginning, and this is the knock on whole life. This is why Dave. Uh, Ramsey and Susie Orman don't like it. The first year I put in a dollar, I might have 60, 65 cents that I can go put in the real estate because I'm an owner of this banking system. A customer doesn't have to make an investment. An owner in a business does. That's part of the business. If there wasn't that cash drag, Jack, I would have a virtual line out my door for people to do this. By year two, I put in a dollar, and and if I'm doing infinite banking, I have a dollar or more to go put in the investment. It's just that first year. And again, by year 10, by year four, if I'm getting 25% cash on cash, which I know is a little bit harder today than it was two years ago, but if I'm getting 25% cash on cash by year four, I can't get all of my cash flow from the assets into the insurance contract, and I need another insurance contract flow money and that's a lot right there and i I didn't mean that to be such a long answer
0: no it was great and i think uh, you just had a couple light bulbs went off in in the audience as you were explaining that so that was great would you mind sharing a story of somebody you might have helped through this process a real estate investor or maybe even yourself
1: yeah yeah and and i'll give you i'll give you two quickly is one was a guy up in Iowa and Sioux City, Iowa. He was a business owner, painting contractor. His wife was a dentist in their late 30s, I think, when they started, maybe right around 40, I think 38 though. And she didn't want to be a dentist anymore. And he hated being a painting contractor or he hated that the business owned him. And I said, I told him about real estate. I had him read Rick's Dad Poor Dad. I had him think assets, not instruments. And he went out and, and he said, okay, I'm going to start funding my, my infinite banking policies. I'm going to use it to run my business and run the money through my business, but until I get about this amount of money, and then I'm going to go buy real estate. So in three years, he went from owning no real estate to 250 units, right? Now, this is in Sioux City, Iowa. You're not getting tons of appreciation, but you're getting cash flow and he remodeled them and he went to the bank and he said because he bought this seller finance in the beginning and he got a great deal on it on his first portfolio then he went to the bank and said hey i want to i want to i want to refinance these properties to get the seller out and but i i want them on the renovated appraised value and they said okay we'll do that if you show us the liquidity To do the renovation. He said, I'm going to use my life insurance contract. They gave him hundred percent credit. He did that. And that's how the ball got rolling for him to go from, I think there were 20 or 30 properties in that first portfolio to 250 properties. Now his wife is not a dentist anymore, but they still own the real estate that the dental practice is in. He's not a business owner for that business anymore, but they still own the real estate that business is in and he has this portfolio and he said he, he said to me hey jim i don't want to give you too much credit but you changed my life now i didn't really change his life all i did was show him a different path so that's one another deal that i did a few years ago in tennessee there were there was a couple that had these residential properties that a uh, couple multifamily and some commercial all together and in fact there was even some billboards in the, in this portfolio, they were getting a divorce. He had to pay his wife X number of dollars per month. She didn't want anything to do with the seller finance. He did. And so we did it at 0% interest for a certain amount of time so that it would pay her the dollar amount that she was supposed to get every month. And what we did is we sold off two of the multifamilies to pay her off And then like for her, 50% for some of these properties. And then we just, we remodeled some, we sold off the billboards, we sold off the commercial and we just sold these incrementally. And in two years, we doubled our money. Now, I never used a dollar of my own money. I only used the insurance company's money. So I didn't double my money because I didn't have any money in it. I only had the interest on the insurance company's money In there for two years. So everybody else that was a partner in this, they doubled their money. My rate of return was more like 60 times because I only had the interest on there. And I'll give you one more that's not real estate, but this'll make sense. In August of this year, this the year that I bought this business, I closed on a business that was electronics refurbishment business. And it was owned by this much bigger company that was like an accredited eBay where you, you know, could qualify to, for bigger purchases. And that company just got a $50 million VC infusion, but they owned this little electronics refurbishment company that had co- customers like Vizio and Costco, et cetera. And it didn't fit. And you know what a VC is doing. They're not putting $50 million in there to buy and hold that thing. And in, in three to five years, they want to three to five X their money. So they wanted to clean it up. So we agreed that I would buy this business for $3.3 million. So it wasn't a big business. It wasn't even that profitable. But I said, okay, I'll buy it on an earnout basis. I'll give you 20% of the increase over this much revenue per quarter. But I'm not going to do that for two years. Give me two years to build the business up. And I don't want to give you any money up front. Right, I want to do it a hundred percent earnout basis. So this is just like a seller finance negotiation, and they said their board came back and said, "No, we need money. We want a million up front." We settled for seventy five thousand dollars. Okay, now remember this August first. So we got into this business, and I found four hundred thousand dollars of profit between August one and twelve thirty one from old sound bars that they were just writing off as unsellable. Some of them were $38 that we were selling them for. But remember, I got nothing in them. So I bought this business for $75,000 down. And at the end of the year, I had a check for $400,000. And I say to people, what's my rate of return? They say, 75 divided. And I said, no, no, wait a minute. That's not my $75,000. That's the insurance company's $75,000. I had to pay them 5% interest only for August, September, October, November, December, five months, $3,700 or somewhere around that $3,700 to make 400 grand. And I own the business and the business is profitable. And guess what? The VC sold the business. And I put in there, if you sell the business, I don't have to pay you any of this. If the business is purchased, our deal is off. So I literally had $3,750 of Deductible interest because it was for a business purpose in a business that I already made 400 grand on and is making multiple six figures even till today.
0: But you, that isn't a bottom, that proves out or is a great example of what we learn in Rich Dad Poor Dad as well about taking advantage of those opportunities as they become available. Because a lot of people aren't in that position where when an opportunity comes, It might be a great opportunity, but they can't find a way or find that path. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you found that way to enable those opportunities when they arise.
1: Yeah. You know, what's funny, Jack, and you'll appreciate this as you talk to people about this and talk to them about business and you talk to them about once you've done that once, right? I could do it again. And so it's once you've bought real estate and you've bought a portfolio. And whatever your sector is, whatever your niche is, you get good at it. And it's not rocket science. It's just really having the confidence to know if I'm a brain surgeon, there's only so many things that happen to a brain. And once I know all of them, then I'm comfortable cutting you open and working on your brain. So it's like in a business, it's the same thing. I'm comfortable. You're comfortable buying real estate because you know what you're doing. You've done it. And in Same thing. I've bought parts of more than 30 businesses in this concept because I figured it out.
0: I have two more questions for you before we jump into the rapid fire questions. But I just want to remind everybody again, community.tailwind.com and take advantage and join Jim's community there for more information. There's got to be some gotchas here. So you got to share a few of those. What are some of those gotchas?
1: Yeah. So here's the gotchas. One, I already mentioned, you put a hundred thousand dollars or you put in a million dollars and people start wherever they start, right? It just depends on how much money you have to start creating your bank. You don't have all access. You don't have access to that hundred grand upfront. It's 60 to 70%. That's a gotcha, right? There's cash drag. And somebody could say, well, if I put a hundred grand into the real estate, then how long does it take you to catch up? Trust me, I catch up and I pass you. But that's still a gotcha because in the beginning. You're not gonna start first, right? But we're gonna try to finish first. That's a gotcha. The other thing is, and you can really appreciate this, is people don't use it. They put the money in the insurance contract, they let it sit there because they're afraid to take action. They don't know how to go buy real estate. They don't have time to learn. They don't have the right passive partner. They let it sit there, like a Northwestern mutual policy, right? And we don't want that. I'm not selling you life insurance. I'm setting up a life insurance policy and I'm coaching you how to use it as a bank. So those are the two biggest gotchas. The other one that I would say is where you put the money in. I can't tell you what to put the money in. And so if you use one of the tenants from The Richest Man in Babylon, invest in what you do. And if you borrow one of Dan Sullivan's books, t- book titles, who, not how. If you don't know how, don't, if you're a doctor, you're a business owner, you're making millions of dollars or whatever, find somebody that you know and trust. But you know what? Sometimes we think we not know and trust that person and we shouldn't have. So that's a gotcha. Those are the three major gotchas. Everything else is, hey, I could have loaned the money for this and I only got this rate. It's all like a learning curve. And I don't really think those are gotchas, Jack. It's just the learning curve. I do, I'm a lot smarter about where how I loan money than I was when I started.
0: Since you met Mr. Nash in person, everybody that I've run into that has met him and had some relationship with him always has a story. So can you end with a story, something regarding him and an experience there with him?
1: Yeah. And one of the things that I love about Nelson and I love about mentors and mentoring people. And I try to do the same thing is I remember one time I asked Nelson a question and I don't even remember the question I asked him, Jack, but he, his answer to me was, Hey Jim, what do you know about the 1921 Tulsa race riot? I said, Nelson, I I'm sorry. I guess I didn't even know there was one. And he said, "It's the worst weight race riot in uh, this country's history. He goes, you ought to read about it for everybody in the audience that doesn't know Much or there was just a hundred year anniversary, so it's been in the, it's been in the in the news a couple years ago. But this African American community, they seceded from the white community, banking and Wall Street. They had their own, and they were slaughtered for it because it's wait a minute, we can't make money off of these people, and they were slaughtered because of the color of their skin. But make. No mistake, we are financial slaves now to Wall Street, banks, and government. And so Nelson didn't just give me the answer, Jack. He sent me in the right direction to find the answer. And I was a horrible student in school, but I loved to learn. And he's the best kind of teacher because he didn't want to just give you the answer and show how smart he was. He wanted you to educate yourself, and that's a lesson that I will have for it and i'll share with every single person that'll listen
0: i appreciate you sharing that but before i let you go jim are you ready for some rapid fire let's do it what is a lie real estate investors tell themselves and to others
1: this is bad timing this is bad timing can't make any money as a bad market
0: what book would you recommend or what are you reading right now
1: one i have to go with the go-giver and Jack, when I was young and going to seminars and stuff in business, Zig Ziglar would say, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll get more, you'll get more than you expect and more than you want. And it's just, oh yeah, that's good. Okay. I'm going to go do it this way. And I would hear that again. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. But the go-giver Bob Berg, who I became friends with because I asked him so many questions about his book. It's from the heart. It's give Just give, help other people, and you'll get way more than you've ever imagined. And the five laws of stratospheric success are on that wall of my office right there. And if I could turn my camera around, I would and show everyone because I remind myself every day of those five laws of stratospheric success.
0: What is one tool you can't live without, whether it's personal or business?
1: Is my journal. Is I write down three things that I'm grateful for every night and I write down the three most important things that I need to do for the day every morning. And it has made a, I don't even know how to describe the difference that it's made in my life. And I don't, and I, and it's critical. If I looked over on my nightstand and that journal wasn't there, I'm not sure what I would do. Go get another one.
0: Yeah. You'll have to add that to the next to do.
1: Yeah, exactly. Most important. And under is- six,
0: Is that a strategy you learned from somewhere else or is it just something you created?
1: No, I learned that from, I think it was from Dan Sullivan, strategic coach, the gratitude principle and the three most important things I'm sure was from some book on prioritizing your morning. But every morning, like I get up and I have this routine. I drink 30 ounces of water just to get your brain awake. I do my Bible devotional on my phone on the U version up with 15 other guys and we share our comments and that's how I start my day and I can start my day.
0: Okay. Interesting. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be?
1: It would be to listen because everything that I learned about business and real estate, I learned when I was 13 years old, Jack, and I'll give you the 60 second version of this story. But when I was 13, I my, my adopted mother worked in a casket factory and she got me a job at 13 swinging a hammer because I think she thought it would be funny to see my reaction to how could I swing a hammer for eight hours a day? I will just share that I couldn't in the beginning. But Dwayne McIntyre, who owned the business, I noticed he wasn't swinging a hammer. I noticed he wasn't even there that often. And one day I'm walking through my neighborhood, which was in or near Inglewood, California in the inner city of Los Angeles and I'm walking along going up to get a Coke at the store with one of my friends and I look down and there's somebody pulling weeds in like one of the worst houses in the neighborhood. I look down and who is it? Dwayne McIntyre I said, what are you doing here? I'd like to tell you that I said Mr. McIntyre, I just didn't have good manners back then and I said, what are you doing here? He said, I own this place. I said, don't you live in Palace Verdes? He said, yes, but I own real estate throughout Los Angeles now. So everything I needed to learn, Jack, I was exposed to when I was 13 years old. So if I could go back, I would say to that 13 year old, hey, stop, watch, do that. Ask Dwayne McIntyre to mentor you. Don't worry about if you don't, if you don't want to go to school, don't worry about this or go to school and learn how to run a business. That's what I would tell my younger self. I'd go back to 13 and I'd say, smack, smack, it's right here in front of you.
0: It sounds like you own a number of businesses. So I'd be curious as to your answer on this. Can you give everybody a tip or trick they can implement today to have a direct impact on theirs?
1: Yes. Is I My goal is to own business businesses as passively, as passively as possible. And it's, this is going to sound like a stupid, simple formula, but I'm telling you, it works. Is hire really good people and overpay them, give them an opportunity to have, to be an owner. I just did this with a trash company that I own, and my partner and I, Nick Costco, we brought, we found the right guy. We are overpaying him in the beginning, and he can earn up to twenty percent of that company in as long as it takes him to get reoccurring sales to a certain point. Now I have a person acting like an owner now i can go buy another business find somebody else to run it and find another business and back to the principles of rich dad poor dad you know if the thing makes a million dollars or it makes fifty thousand dollars okay let me grow it right and how do i grow it i find somebody wants to act like an owner
0: jim is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today
1: no i'm I really appreciate you having a show like this, Jack, and I truly, from the bottom of my heart, only want to help people. And I know that you and I talked about, and I know that book is behind you on your bookshelf and I'm happy to help anybody in the audience. And I want to offer you a gift is if you go to community.createtailwind.com and you join the community and you send me a message, you get your choice for free, don't no shipping, handling, I'll send it to you free. My book, uh, Make Bank Without the Bank, or Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, How to Unleash the Infinite Banking Concept. Now, I'm not going to tell you which book to get, but I'm tell- you can't go wrong with either one, Okay, but I can't say get my book over Nelson's because I love Nelson too much, and his book is too brilliant.
0: Really appreciate it again, Jim. I hope you'll come back again sometime.
1: Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.